Well, Amy, based on the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, it looks like Peter Parker's in some legal trouble. Yeah, and it seems like he could use a lawyer who knows a thing or two about living a double life. Marvel happens to have one on hand, and his name is Matt Murdock. So while we're on a season break, we're heading back to 2020 to bring you our commentary series on Daredevil Season 1. Just in case Mr. Murdock shows up in No Way Home, we could all use a refresher on The Devil of Hell's Kitchen. We'll be back Monday, November 8th to kick off Season 4 of The Marvelous Madams with an episode on Spider-Man Homecoming. I think she's got some kind of, like, arsenal of weapons under those big flowy skirts she wears. Darling, you've been watching too many cartoons. I don't know, but I think she's got throwing <laughs> stars in her sweater. I think that cane turns into a gun somehow. She's terrifying. What? Where? How? What? I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Here we are, episode five of Daredevil, season one. Yes, and we open with some light flirting. Yeah, this episode is nuts. Can we just say that off top? Yeah, it's it certainly gets the blood pumping. <laughs> to various places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, depending on, uh, on where we're at here. I absolutely love this episode. And, mm -hmm. oh, this opening scene. Hmm. <laughs> yeah it got your blood pumping in different directions yeah it certainly did uh poor claire is a hot mess yeah she's in a lot of pain i feel for her yeah physical pain emotional pain she's just covered in bruises and oh open cuts and hairline fractures yeah who needs an x-ray when you have matt around who needs any medical equipment? <laughs> you save so much money. This is true. He's like walking health insurance. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I love the line Claire gives here because like she knows Matt's name now, but she doesn't know what he does and asks him if he's a billionaire playboy. Yeah. <laughs> love that. That Tony, uh, yeah. that Tony reference. And I have to myself here, no, he's not Bruce Wayne or Tony, but he kind of is Batman. I realize that. Like, Yeah, he's, he is the Marvel version of Batman. Yes. Uh, he's sure broody enough and Hell's Kitchen is sure dark enough. Absolutely. I could not handle Matt getting ready for work here. I don't know about you or anybody else, but there is something incredibly sexy about seeing a very hot man putting a suit on and just being like fully covered up when you know what's under that suit. And it's just a few feet away. <laughs> and a few layers away. No. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And I think Claire agrees with me. Yeah, sure. And... But that just that slightly off kilter tie. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, blind guy, he has to have something a little askew on himself to keep up the act. Right. Yeah. 
before we move forward, do you need a cold shower right now? I am a little sweaty, but I'm going to stick it out. (laughs) (laughs) It's hormonal, people. Give me a break. Uh Uh-huh. So she says, hormones, right. Blame it on the hormones. So we get some great exposition here, too, between Claire and Matt in his explanation to her about how his powers work and how how he's sensing these injuries on her. Right, yeah. And it also gives us a little more information. All this time, we've been able to hear and experience it from his point of view, but we can't really understand it. Yeah, and it really is fascinating. It's nonsense, but it's fascinating nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. Like, put your fingers on, on, on her back and you know that the swelling has come down. Oh, amazing. Right, and it does make sense in this comic world that he would have this particular ability because he had so much practice as a kid with his dad. True, yeah. His dad must have had every injury imaginable. Yeah. yeah. Matt's basically been to medical school. <laughs> He's been to blind guy medical school. Yeah, for physical injuries, not for anything internal. But I wouldn't be surprised if the show went on a bit longer, he'd be able to sniff out cancer. (laughs) (laughs) So he's going to turn into a dog. I mean, he can taste the copper in the air. You know, you have an excellent point. That really is a good point. He's wasting his talents fighting criminals when he should be at St. Jude's. Yeah, he needs to save people... In different ways. He could he can save people in different ways. There you go. Matt, alternative career. Sniffing dog. Yeah, much safer. <laughs> so yeah, this whole time, this is basically foreplay for these two, their version of it. And this kiss, Jesus. Hold on. If that was foreplay, they must be into some really rough BDSM stuff. Wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. This is another instance of where if you told me 20 years from now, these two had an affair while filming the show, would not be surprised. (laughs) Although I'm thinking maybe he isn't her taste because Rosario Dawson is currently, uh, as of the time of this recording at least, uh, in a long-term relationship slash living with uh, Senator Cory Booker. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I think it's safe to say that they are both disappointed Matt has to go to work. Oh, indeed. Yes. Very disappointed. I think she was more disappointed at the fact that he told her he'd buy her some clothes on the way back. (laughs) Possibly. Dude, you need to be taking the clothes off, not putting them on. Yes, I agree. So while Matt heads off to work... The surviving Russian brother, Vladimir, is pretty much like desperately trying to get in touch with his brother, a.k.a. the guy Wilson Fisk decapitated. Yes. And he's understandably desperate because A, brother missing. B, last he knew his brother had gone to meet Fisk and they were trying to figure out some major deal. Yeah. So he's in the dark here, but one of his goons... Eventually comes in is like, uh, sorry, uh, we found him. Not looking good. He's, <laughs> he's not looking his best. No, I think even the goon was a bit green. Yeah. Okay, I have to say this. They're Russian and whatever. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but why would you get a decapitated body that is still dripping blood, which is a different thing altogether, on an office table? Yeah, 
It should be coagulated by that point. Yes, that's one. And you don't get a body into an office. You send it to the fucking morgue. Well, I think the whole point here is that he wants to take care of his own. It's unhygienic. You think... And smelly. You've you've met these guys by now, right? You think hygiene is high on their list of priorities? Oh, right. I forgot about the previous episode with the ribs yeah. and the rats. Yeah. Yeah. Not a huge deal for them. So Vladimir goes rooting around in his brother's corpse, because that's apparently what they do, and <laughs> finds the mask of the masked man in his brother's pocket. Yes. It's nice for hypothetical Matt to leave a calling card. Isn't it? That he would have to take off of his head and shove into his pocket to then presumably start a war? That'd be smart. Yeah, sure. Makes perfect sense. So we can deduce here that this was planted by Fisk on the body after he... Uh, as Amy put it last episode, separated him from his body. <laughs> what Fisk is trying to do here is basically use the Russians as lapdogs to take out Matt for him. Yeah. And his trick works for the time being. Right. Well, actually, his entire plan works flawlessly. Yeah. So speaking of plans, we have another bad guy meeting in the shadows here. <laughs> Yeah. I have to say, Leland is a funny guy. Oh my god. He is fucking insane. (laughs) The old white male privilege in this man. Thinking, I'm just sitting here like, what are you thinking, you batshit old fucker? Even slightly challenging a dude who you know just took off a guy's head with a car door for embarrassing him. I just have to say this, that you went so high that right now that the volume actually peeped, (laughs) it pinged. Like beyond this is harmful for hearing. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, I mean, they are literally washing someone else's brains and bones of Fisk's car, and this guy is still mouthing off. Yeah. It just absolutely blew my mind. Madame Gao knows better, but she doesn't have to mouth off. She just has to stand there. Yeah, yeah, she has an intimidating presence. She just has to stand there and do nothing. Yeah, I want to know what's under... Okay, this is going to come out wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's got some kind of, like, arsenal of weapons under those big flowy skirts she wears. Darling, you've been watching too many cartoons. I don't know, but I think she's got throwing (laughs) stars in her sweater. I think that cane turns into a gun somehow. She's terrifying. What? Where? How? What? I don't know. We will get to know a lot more of her as we move through the other Netflix shows, particularly Iron Fist and The Defenders. That makes sense. So the whole gist of things here is that Fisk has to keep everybody pacified for the moment because he can't let Vladimir know that he's the one who actually killed his brother. Yes, which 
begs the question, why did he tell them in the first place? I think it's another, again, I think it's a matter of I can do whatever the fuck I want. And I'm not going to hide it. That, that, and I also think it's a message. Yeah, always. I, I bashed this guy, yeah, I bashed this guy's head in for embarrassing me, for interrupting a dinner. What do you think I'm going to do to you? You know what absolutely pisses me off about this scene, though? What? Owsley thinks a stun gun, because he's like, I'm getting my taser out of storage. He thinks a stun gun is going to save him from Matt. And God damn it, it does. <laughs> it shouldn't, but eventually later on, it's going to save him. That's the thing. This guy is funny. He's He's hilarious. He's constantly worried. He's constantly second guessing everything, but... He's so quippy and funny. I like him, at least in this scene. I don't like him because every time I look at his face, I just picture him ruining Andy Dufresne's life. Now, I'll say this, not knowing what happens, not remembering what happens, but the way Owsley is talking, I feel like he's on borrowed time. (laughs) I feel like there's there's a countdown ticker over his head. In all honesty, I do not remember. Oh, good. So it'll be a surprise for us both. Yeah. That being said, he hasn't popped up anywhere else, so maybe. All right. So we leave our bad guy meeting and we head over to another just filthy alley because this show is just 50% filthy alleys. (laughs) (laughs) And we have this cab. It's the Russians. And they have this guy in the back. This is so well done. Yes. With the singing. He's yeah, yeah. singing. He's got kind of a pleasant voice, doesn't he? Yeah, I think that's specifically why they got him in. Yeah, and he's just choreographing this incredible fight scene. Yeah, but uh, he gets a bullet to his brain for all that he does, for his efforts. Yeah, but it was nice while it lasted. Yeah, sure. I did enjoy the little tune. (laughs) Yeah, so at this point, Matt is trying to get some information out of this one Russian. And the Russian gives it away that everybody thinks Matt killed Vladimir's brother. Yeah. And the guy was terrified. It goes to show that he probably saw Vladimir's brother's... What is his name, Vladimir's brother? I do not know. And he's dead, so I'm fine just calling him Vladimir's brother. (laughs) Uh, Vladimir's brother's body. So it's brutal. Yeah. You know, it's not like a clean cut. No. It's it's very jagged. So the dude was understandably terrified. Yeah. Car doors aren't meant for cutting. No. They can certainly hurt fingers very badly. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is uh Alan Rickman in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves when he his amazing performance as the sheriff of Nottingham. He, he was having someone's heart removed. He's like, No, use a spoon uh, use a spoon. It's dull, it'll hurt more. <laughs> I like that attempt at an English accent. Well, Rickman is special. The, the Rickman <laughs> is a very special dialect. That only Jeremy Irons and Benedict Cumberbatch can truly impersonate. Okay, then. <laughs> we get to the law office the next day. We're back with Karen and Foggy. Could we stop with the rats? First off, it's Nelson and Murdoch. These guys are bad at branding. We shouldn't help them. <laughs> it's a pet peeve. I know. I care more about the presence of rats. That's a yes, problem. Yes, in the building. 
Yeah, but look at where they are. I wouldn't. It's it's surprising that rats are not walking all over. Oh, stop! <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. Yeah, yeah. God, they're having trouble setting up all the equipment that Karen bought because the goddamn rats are eating through the lines of everything. Yeah, yeah. They need to get themselves some rat poison. Yeah. So it's here we first meet Mrs. Cardenas. Yes. Sweet lady. I love this woman so much. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. She reminds me so much of my mother-in-law. Okay. Um, Physically, her whole manner. She's a little older than my mother-in-law. But... Okay. This is something she would do. Like, my mother-in-law would be the one. If something was going on in the building, like, the, she's a fucking town crier, and I love it. She would be the <laughs> one to, like, gather all the gossip, get all the complaints from anybody, everybody, and go do something about it. Okay, that's it, good. Yeah. So the gist is, Mrs. Uh, we'll call her Mrs. C, because it's a bit of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Yeah, thank you, because I don't think I'd be able to get that right. Yeah. Mrs. C and her fellow tenants at this apartment building are being squeezed out by the slumlord who runs the building. I'm not from the States, so I don't know what rent control is. Can you give me an idea? Sure. So common practice in New York for a long time. I'm not sure where else it's prevalent in the country. It's a thing in big cities. Very controversial. So basically, it just means that the government sets a law that for a certain amount of time or and within certain boundaries, landlords cannot raise the rent on tenants. So there's an upper limit they can reach and that's it? No. Like they can't raise the rent. That's good for the, that's good for the renters, but it's very, obviously <laughs> very bad for the, for the landlords. Yeah, it's very economically controversial. Mm-hmm. So this slumlord has basically destroyed all their apartments and is just making up a bunch of bullshit trying to force these people out of their homes. Yeah. And at this point, Foggy finds out that the firm representing the slumlord is <laughs> Langman and Zach, the place that him and Matt used to intern at. Yeah. And he is absolutely petrified of going back. Do you have the same line in your notes that I do? The shock? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how uh, Karen is equally enjoying this. Yes. The shark attack. (laughs) Yeah, she's not going for moral support. No. She's going just for the fun of it. Oh, yes. And she gets it. (laughs) Oh, yes, she does. The shark attack. Look at me. I'm delicious. (laughs) like no foggy that's not a law firm that's prison (laughs) so they decide or really matt decides because everything is just a unilateral decision with that man yeah this is not a partnership no it really isn't matt decides okay i'll head down to the precinct uh on the pretense of looking up complaints about this guy and you and karen foggy you guys head over to the law firm yeah And at the precinct, we hear some very important information. Yeah. First off, the scared shitless Russian guy 
is singing. He's singing like he's in West Side Story. Yeah. Yeah, because he would like to continue living, please. Yes, he would like to have his head attached to his body firmly. Yes. So this is why Matt really went down to the precinct, because he wants to hear this interrogation. Yes. And he also wants to find out a little bit more about the rumored headless Russian and who he apparently killed. Yeah. And, you know, there's a nice little detail, too, of when Matt gets to the precinct. It's just I swear you could go back and watch this show and just pick out every moment where he acts like a blind guy when it's just a a show. And he does it here when he bumps into the half door. Yeah. Makes him look more vulnerable. Yeah. Just all these little things. It's so great. Hmm. So Matt's hearing the interrogation and hears the Russian give the cops Fisk's name. And it's the same cops. The white guy is Blake. I'm not sure about the black guy, but it's the same cops that had arrested Karen. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. And that's the end of the Russian dude. Yeah, they set it up before Matt can even get in there, alert anybody. They kill this Russian. And I have it in my notes right here in all caps. I knew they were dirty. I told you, Amy. (laughs) Yes, they were. They had to be in on it. Yeah, well, we didn't know at the time, right? I guessed. Good for you. I'm proud of you. That wasn't dripping with condescension. (laughs) Anything to keep you calm and let's just move forward. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's at this is a real turning point because this is the moment when Matt realizes, holy shit, he's got the cops in his pocket. Yes. And not only that, but this is their buddy's Brett, their buddy Brett's precinct. Yeah, correct. And also, Matt could have easily gone in and interrupted this little skit of theirs, but he didn't because he knew he was in public and people knew who he was. I don't know. It happens very quickly. I didn't even realize quite at first what they were doing when they're like, all right, who did it last time? I don't think Matt knew what was about to happen. It was too quick. He was too far away. That's true as well. And yeah, plus how would he be able to get in? They'd naturally have locked the door. Yeah, there was absolutely nothing he could do about that. Yeah, I suppose. So after that bombshell, we meet another (laughs) bombshell. I do not find her to be a bombshell, personally. Um, boobs. Um, no thanks when they're attached to an Ursula-type monster. Yeah, no, I'm not saying she's an attractive woman, but they stand out. Yeah, but... She, um, here's the thing. I'm not saying the actress is unattractive. I'm saying she's made up to look worse. She's wearing way too much makeup. She looks leathery. Um, she's a little yeah. orange. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she's made up to fit a stereotype. Exactly. Yes. But here's what I'm wondering with her. And again, I'm a little unclear and this comes. Okay. So I'll just say this. We, Based on a timeline that we get a couple episodes from now with Matt, he's about 29, 30 years old. Okay. So presumably Foggy is about the same age. They went through school together. Right. This blonde looks significantly older than them. Mm-hmm. So that just threw me off a little bit until we I got a couple episodes later into the timeline of like, wait, how old are they supposed to be? Because this woman looks like she's pushing 40. Mm-hmm. 
Marcy. But who's to say he didn't date an older woman? This is true. She just made it really seem like they really made it seem like they were age peers because like she had been interning with them and chose to stay. Mm-hmm, so that's right. why I kind of it just confused me a little bit. She could have been a couple of years ahead. And let's not forget, she kept calling him Foggy Bear, which in itself tends to be like something that you'd call a younger person or a more inexperienced person. I threw up a little in my mouth <laughs> on that one. Um, She, though, she's a stone bitch. Oh, yeah, she is. Like if you look up stone bitch in the dictionary, she's got a full page photo in there. <laughs> What it seems like initially, she's mopping the floor with Foggy. Uh Uh-huh. And she's a corporate chill, too. She's just, you know, doing what she's told. And she refers to Mrs. C as Mrs. Whatever. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. As Foggy says, she's soulless. Yeah. So he's just letting her spew, just take it all. And then I I just, (gasps) I wrote it here. It's in all caps. Foggy has a spine after all. (laughs) And not only that... We finally see his brilliance. Yes. This is a fantastic, epic takedown. Yes, it is. He's all sweet and cuddly, but when he gets down to it, he means business and he can take as good as he gives. Mm-hmm. So he basically tells her, no, it's it's your client that should be afraid because we're going to find a way to help these tenants. All they have to do is stay. They don't have to do a goddamn thing. They have the power. Yeah. And it's something that we experience in the world. Like when you know you're on the defensive, you push hard. You go really aggressively to try and intimidate the other person. Yeah. It's a common tactic in business and in in the corporate world. Yeah. These tenants and Foggy, as a result, you know, being their lawyer, are basically um, my dog when she doesn't want to come in from outside. (laughs) when she just rolls herself onto the ground and flails and just refuses to goes dead weight refuses to be walking to the house so we have to carry her yeah that's basically what they're doing (laughs) as they walk away i love karen's reaction here not you dated her you dated that yeah you dated that (laughs) (laughs) i love her so much but at the same time it's dehumanizing that other woman whatever she may be she's 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 a soulless bitch, but still. Mm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, but it's it's dehumanizing. It's again, it's the same thing. You well, know, two women if, cannot like each other. Nonsense. No, 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 not the same at all. That has nothing to do with Foggy. That has nothing to do with any kind of jealousy. No, if you don't want to be no, if you don't want to be dehumanized, act like a goddamn human being. That woman is an awful person. <laughs> She's an awful person, but she's still a human being. Don't care. And someone is dehumanizing someone. Yeah, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Look, I'm working on it in real life. Can I do it to fictional characters, please? I need some outlet. So Wesley gives Fisk his little report here. Yeah. Of the whole situation at the precinct. Fisk's office is basically the car. Yeah, he's like the Lincoln lawyer, but bad. (laughs) He's the Matthew McConaughey of Hell's Kitchen. No, no, that, no, that doesn't jive. Uh-uh. I'm rejecting that <laughs> mentally. No. So we learn a couple things in this little back and forth here. One, Fisk is still off the radar of the good cops. Right. Because it was the cops in his pocket that took out this Russian. 
Yes, and it also explains so much of how he's been able to be under the radar for so long. Exactly. And he also has IAB cops in his pocket. Not only is he bribing the cops, he's bribing the cops who police the other cops. He's got every corner covered here. Yeah, which is smart. <sighs> Unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. You don't get to where Fisk is if you're not smart. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I'm not disagree. I, I'm not debating the man's intelligence. Yeah, and what happened in the previous episode with him losing his cool was a one-off. Yes, agreed. So they have their little meeting in the car, and we head over with Foggy and Karen to poor Mrs. C's apartment that has just been ripped to shreds by those assholes. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a pretty sight. She is just the sweetest, and you know what? So are Foggy and Karen, because they're like, hey, we can manage this. We're going to fix your apartment ourselves. Yeah. Foggy, all said and done, he's a really nice guy. He and he is. genuinely wants to help. He does. So does Matt, but Matt does it in a very different way. Yeah. And Karen is on board. Foggy's like, oh, you know what? I got an electrician friend that I can call up. They're going to make it work. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. And that, I think, was the sweetest and the nicest scene of the entire episode. Yeah. It was the most heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which was, which was sorely needed. Yeah. Yeah, we treasure these sweet moments in the yeah. pit of hell that is this show. It is, after all, in Hell's Kitchen. True. <laughs> the devil's making soup. Yes. So one of the cops that was in there, Detective Blake... He lets his guard down for just a minute and Matt comes for him. Yes, he does. And he, now the tables have turned. Now Matt is the one who's interrogating him, albeit much more forcefully. Yes, that's one way to put it. Did you enjoy the sound effects yet? Uh, <laughs> if it weren't for COVID, I would, get, I would get a membership to one of those sensory deprivation tank places and go there every time. I watch a cluster of episodes of this. <laughs> I am going to have so much fun throughout this entire season or well, the entire three seasons of the show as we cover it. Yeah. And by the time we get to the Punisher, I'm going to jump off a bridge. Oh, right. Kill the, me now. The Punisher is certainly brutal. Yes. So after Matt basically incapacitates this guy a little bit, he takes his phone. A little bit? A <laughs> little bit? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's my story. I'm yeah, sticking to it. Yeah, he knocked him unconscious, yeah. dude. Yeah, so <laughs> Matt steals his phone and sees a text on there with a list of addresses. Yes, which we don't know the reason for right now. We don't. But and... it gets very apparent later on. Yeah, and Matt really... <sighs> Talk about misjudging a situation, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, but before that, he asks Claire to help out and get the messages. Yeah, poor Claire. Has she not done enough? Now she's got to be tech support. <laughs> she's his eyes. I don't like the way you said that. It's creepy. <laughs> and then they have a bit of a heart to heart, which was heartbreaking. Ugh, I wouldn't be able to walk away from that. Sure you wouldn't. No. He might be a serial killer, but you will certainly not walk away from that. No. Yeah. 
I'm I'm fully aware, listeners, of what that says about me. I'm okay with it. I've <laughs> I've made my peace with it. If ever she does date some kind of you know serial killer or something like that with an ass like that, I swear to God, I can hear her say, "He's an ass, but he's my ass." What happened to my poor husband in this scenario? <laughs> <laughs> are you imagining he is dead or he becomes a serial killer either works. <laughs> i'll let him know <laughs> all right and now we come to first date take two <laughs> yes and this time fisk has learned his lesson he bought out the entire restaurant because that's normal for someone like him sure no but what i mean is see Normal women would find that terrifying. Well, she did have a gun. Oh, we'll talk about the gun. Don't get me started <laughs> on the gun. We'll talk about it. But my point is, combining the fact that he bought out this entire restaurant with what happened last time they were there, most women would be terrified. Vanessa finds it a romantic gesture. A grand gesture, yes. Yeah. What What can one say? I mean, she seems to enjoy it, so good for her. Mm-hmm. Asking in the attention of it all. Yeah, absolutely. And the conversation that they have when she tells him about one of her previous, I say this loosely, relationship mm -hmm. with some prince. Mm -hmm. It's clear that she enjoys that attention and she, she's very self-confident. You are choosing your words so carefully. I know it. <laughs> I always do. Uh-huh. I always do. Yeah. If you want to want to see her doing this again, people, check out our Agents of the Shield series, specifically season four, when uh, somebody is saying similar things about Miss Ada. Oh, my dear. Mm. Oh. Yeah. A lot of similarities going on. <laughs> mm. Ada is hot. She is hot. Okay. And damn it, you distracted me. <laughs> Well, these two are enjoying wine that I can't afford or pronounce. Vladimir is, what's the word? Cleansing? His brother? You know, you mentioned hygiene earlier. Did you enjoy this scene? I would have enjoyed it more if the rag was clean. You were, oh. It was bloody. Oh, you expect it to be clean while he is washing his brother's headless corpse? Yeah, but that's the point. You do it in a place where you can use more water. Oh, my God. He's basically just spreading the blood around. You have got to get over this. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been there for at least a couple of hours. It's daylight. It was daylight when he got the body. And now the Fisk is on his date. It must be smelling. Yeah. Um. This guy's been in a Russian prison. I'm pretty sure his nose can handle a lot. This isn't his first corpse true but your brother's body is decomposing look, in front of you look amy rush in, it up in mother russia body washes you okay that's the way it goes he's used to this shit so while vladimir is just basically spreading the blood around another familiar face shows up whose name we do not know and implies that his brother was decapitated with a car's door and this dude basically describes Fisk to him. Oh, right. This black guy who was on the pier originally, one of the traffickers. Yeah. Yes. And he was the guy who gave the jammed gun to Healy. That's the guy. 
Right. Okay. See, at the time I was thinking, oh, this is a misunderstanding, but we will find out later this black guy is actually doing this on Fisk's order. Yes. So Vladimir basically takes two and two together and makes up his mind that Matt is working for Fisk. Now, initially, his plan was to find Matt and kick the shit out of him and kill him. Once he realizes that Matt was actually working on Fisk's orders, he calls back his entire army and his intention is to attack Fisk. So they all go to their various four locations that we know that we we had seen in those text messages, those locations. Those were their strongholds. So everyone went there to regroup and get some weapons and go on a full-scale assault against Fisk. And this again shows Fisk's brilliance. He is a master at anticipating what people will do. Yes. You know who he reminds me of? This is actually very reminiscent of what Khan does in Star Trek Into Darkness. He creates a diversion that gets all the commanding officers, all the higher ups of Starfleet in one central location and then bombs the shit out of it. Okay. Very similar. Okay. So back over at the apartment, Foggy and Karen are busy working, but Mrs. C has other ideas for their evening. (laughs) Yeah, she makes them a nice candlelit romantic dinner. You stay. We eat. (laughs) Yeah. And again, she's very sweet. She is the sweetest. And again, this is exactly something my mother-in-law would do. (laughs) If she decided that two people should be together, she could do her damnedest to make it happen. (laughs) And she would go downstairs to cook to do it. You know, and I love, I love this Mrs. C character because she's so, like, this is what I mean about little details. That's what life in those neighborhoods in New York and in New Jersey is like. My mother-in-law lives in a similar kind of place where everybody kind of has to band together sometimes. Everybody's been living there a long time. They have their little support networks that this, you know, elite class, the Wesleys and the Fisks can't possibly understand. Yeah. They have their own community. Yeah. And they are capable of giving their lives for each other if needed. They do anything that they can. Absolutely. So Foggy and Karen, no, you don't mess with an old Hispanic lady. Just sit down and eat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know what's in the bowl. I don't know what she made, but I guarantee it's delicious. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. Women like that, you always know you're in for a good meal. Yes. We, We have a couple of like quasi first dates going on here, just in very different ways. Yeah. Because now we... Although, I wouldn't say Foggy and Karen is a date. It may be date-like, but certainly not a date. Look, Mrs. C said it's a date. It's a fucking date. Okay? You don't mess with Mrs. C. Okay, then. And there's candles. (laughs) Yeah, Candles make a date. (laughs) So we hop over to Matt's apartment where he and Claire are acting out one of the most classic superhero tropes that exists (laughs) she is trying to temper him down 
he's basically just running ahead. He's not thinking straight. He's just going to head straight away into danger. Yeah, he's a bull in a china shop right now. Yeah. And this scene is, it's kind of heartbreaking. It is. And like I said, it's a classic trope, but it works. It works for a reason. You know, it's true. Like he's realizing, oh, yeah, anybody close to me is going to end up getting caught up in this. Yeah. And she did. Yeah. Pretty brutally. Yeah. But what makes it worse is that she's willing. She is to a point where he doesn't become reckless. Right. That he doesn't become what he's trying to root out. Yeah. I was really disappointed the first time I saw the series because Claire and Matt have intense chemistry and they're really good together. Yeah. But I don't know why they tease this. They got us to this point and then they just do this U-turn and Claire's, you know, no longer involved. Well, here's the thing. Half of me wants to see them together but half of me understands what the show is doing and it's part of Matt's character. He can't allow himself to be happy. So Claire is clearly heartbroken because Matt tells her flat out not to fall for him, not to love him. Yeah, and he does it with such a straight blank face. Well, it's the only way he can do it for himself because he wants her too. Yeah, he does, which he's being stupid. No, he's not being stupid. He's being decent because she's already been through enough and he knows he could die tonight he could get her killed again pushing her away is the decent thing to do he's choosing his vendetta over happiness he doesn't see it that way he doesn't see it as a vendetta he sees it as a mission to save the city yeah and which is why i say he's being stupid he's being reckless certainly yeah, he's yeah, he's being reckless, he's being idiotic, and one doesn't give up a woman like Rosario Dawson. Okay. Now this question of are people being stupid, are they being reckless, do they have blinders on, you know, leads to an interesting question I think here between Wesley and Fisk. When Fisk is telling Vanessa about his plans, about what he wants to do for the city, he tells her that Wesley isn't just his employee, that he's his friend. Yes. Do you think this is true? Yes. You know, it's tough for me because Wesley is a fucking sociopath. Yes, he is. They are not capable of true friendship. They are not capable of love or attachment like that. Okay, I'm not going to get into the psychopathy or any of that, but... We do know for a fact that when Wesley dies, Fisk loses it. He starts losing his grip, his control. I believe Wesley is Fisk's friend. I don't know if I believe that Fisk is Wesley's friend. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you mean. Wesley is Fisk's friend. I get that. But Fisk does have a bit of a soft corner for him. Yeah. And, you know, Fisk reminds me a lot of two other villains in this moment. First, Thanos, because he thinks he's righteous. He thinks he's doing good, doing right, you know, doing what the city needs to survive. Any villain is like that. Any villain is a hero in their own story. True. And it's the same as Ra's al Ghul's kill the city to rebuild it. Right. Yeah. And I would like to point out that 
D'Onofrio is about the size of Thanos, too, so it works. <laughs> I was going to say that, yes. Yeah. yeah. Speaking... Hold on. Speaking of Vincent D'Onofrio's size, let me say this. We, we met, You mentioned Vanessa's gun. I, I knew it. I knew it. You were going to do that. I knew it. This has to be said. I cannot <laughs> overlook this. Okay. Let me just make sure everybody knows, though, because people do know I live in Texas, not by choice, people. I hate guns. I want nothing to do with guns. I would never have a gun in my home. If I had my way, Superman would come down from Krypton like he did with the nuclear weapons in, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s. I forget which fucking Superman movie that happened in. But he would take all the guns away from all the world, especially America, and they would just be gone. So I don't know much about guns at all, but I know enough to know that a 22 caliber pistol is considered a pea shooter. And that even <laughs> if he was not wearing body armor, you could shoot Vincent D'Onofrio with a fucking 22 and it'll probably just bounce off. <laughs> it would work if it was a headshot. It, no, it would not. People survive headshots with 22s all the time. It really is not a powerful gun. I promise you. Okay, let me put a it this way. 22 is not taking out that cranium. It's not happening. <laughs> Hold on. Let me put it this way. If she felt like she was in mortal danger and she used the gun as a headshot, it may not kill him, but it would certainly sting him enough that she'd be able to get away. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but that being said, considering how Vanessa is... If she was in mortal danger, I don't think she'd be using the gun to get away from Fisk. She'd probably use it as a aphrodisiac. I have no idea what you are implying. <laughs> I don't really want to know. My other fellow worldly listeners will probably understand what I'm saying. Okay. That's then. all I'm saying. All right. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, so obviously, Vanessa knows what kind of guy he is. Yeah, and you know, this is something that I was actually thinking about. Like I said earlier, Vanessa, she's very confident in herself. She enjoys the attention. Not only that, she she's working in a very high-end art gallery. If you have people like Wilson Fisk coming in, and like she men mentioned that prince, whoever he may have been, she's used to dealing with people like him. Art, we know, is well known for its smuggling value mm -hmm. and, and for money laundering. So he's probably not the first crook she has met or even dated for that matter. Definitely not because that's her type. Yeah, probably. So she may be playing innocent, but she's certainly not. And she knows what she's getting into, which is why she had the gun in the first place. And she's also very adept at reading the person and playing along based on the way she knows how they will react favorably. Because at the end of the day, she is a saleswoman and she needs to get her sale. And the kind of sales that she's doing, it's not just about the painting. It's about the whole package. Art is not just about the end product because it's a very subjective thing. It's about the experience, the feeling. So she's very good at making people feel important. That is very well said. 
and in the right hands using those talents for good that can make for a great relationship and a wonderful person but when you're vanessa that means enabling a monster (laughs) (laughs) but the fact that she is very comfortable with it goes to show she's not just enabling a monster but she has the darkness inside of her oh absolutely can't argue which is why they are such a good couple for each other yeah satan and his bride yeah in a way sure lovely so then we head over to two people who aren't quite as comfortable at the moment there's little awkwardness (laughs) going on yeah and they are so cute together oh my god when foggy calls matt a sexual rain man i was dying I was actually more interested in Karen's reaction to this whole thing. Did you notice? Yes. This made me uncomfortable (laughs) because I was upset. Okay. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm a terrible fucking person. I'm just going to take a step back from the microphone and just let you go right now. Yeah. Yeah. So she's basically on a date with Foggy, who she clearly enjoys being around. They have great chemistry. They're cute together. But uh, when she starts asking about Matt, her tone changes a little bit. That's an understatement. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, Foggy, it's happening, buddy. Remember what you were afraid of? Yeah, that's and that's already happened. Yeah, and the point where she tells Foggy, can you touch my face? Yeah. Below the waist, it was Niagara Falls. (laughs) Yeah, because she's imagining Matt across the table from her at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With his, his, as Foggy puts it, grubby little mitts. (laughs) (laughs) And Foggy, he's understandably confused. But I don't think he got it. No, poor baby. He has no idea what's happening. Yeah. My heart just breaks for him. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm like, oh, honey, he's the blind one, but you didn't see this coming. Oh, not at all. (laughs) I feel like you should have. Yes. And considering how long he's known Matt. Yeah. But maybe he figures Matt wouldn't be interested in Karen because she's a good person. (laughs) He doesn't know the kind of shit she's been up to while she's not in the office. True. I've actually written it in my notes when she asks him to touch her face and all of that. Weird transference kink. (laughs) It's more, it's less transference and more just wishful thinking, you know? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's not her psychiatrist. He's her boss. That's true. Yeah. So just as, just as Foggy is about to transform into Matt in her mind, That's when the world goes kaboom. Yes. And we also see where Matt is. That place also explodes. Yes. And he is on the ground. I just have in my notes. Oh, my God, Matt, get up. (laughs) And I have to say, it's very nice for him to place himself right in front of that super strong door where the whole world shakes, but the door is intact and it saves him. Right. Very convenient. Mm hmm. So yeah, bombs are going off in all the locations Matt got off the cop's phone. It's the Russian strongholds being taken out. And Foggy and Karen are caught in the crossfire of this because it's right near the apartment building that they're in. Yeah. Uh, Hell's Kitchen is basically on fire at this point. Yeah, pretty much. 
and Vanessa and Fisk have a good view of this entire situation. Oh, they certainly do. Mm -hmm. And Vanessa is a smart woman. She knows completely that Fisk is responsible for this. He makes no effort to hide it. He's proud of it. Yeah. And he tells her. And this is the thing. He never hid stuff from her. And when she tells him that, you know, I know who you are. I mean, she may not know the specifics. She knows the kind of person he is. He doesn't mince words after that. No. He respects her. But he also twists this because he's not capable of taking responsibility for anything. He twists this whole thing. No, he tells her, you remember the the ring of people uh, that were kidnapping children? That won't happen again. That's what I mean, is he's making others out to be the monster. Those guys were working for him. Yes. And Vanessa doesn't buy any of this bullshit. She knows he is full of shit, but she's fine with it. Yeah, she knows it's him because he, he, while he didn't say it, it was heavily implied because otherwise, if he didn't know the places that were being bombed, he wouldn't know, he wouldn't be able to tell her that who was it that that got bombed. Yeah, so I feel 100% that she is more of a monster than he is. They're made for each other. Oh, yeah, I can't. Can't argue with that. Yeah. And like I said in the previous episode, in a vacuum, they are good for each other. They may not be good together in the world, you know, for the rest of humanity, but for each other, sure. Yes. So this is when we see that the black guy who met with Vladimir earlier, this is when we find out, oh, he was working for Fisk and Wesley the entire time. This was one big setup to try and take out the Russians and Matt as a twofer yes and i was freaking the fuck out at the end of this episode even knowing that he i know he gets out of it somehow but this cliffhanger of of the cops coming for matt holy shit (laughs) like how the fuck is he going to get out of this right yeah yeah and that just goes to show how good this show is because one i've seen it before two i know he's the title character and it's gonna be okay and i'm still like ah So that's where we leave off cliffhanger of how the hell is Matt getting out of this? Yes, indeed. If you want to add your two cents to our discussion over here about Daredevil, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. But please do, everybody, wash your hands before you send the message, because apparently Amy cares so much about all things hygiene, she'll be able to sense your dirty fingers when you're sending the message. (laughs) Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for Season 1, Episode 6 of Daredevil. Yeah, we're maybe foggy or by a clue. <laughs> Poor guy. Well, if you, enjoy, yeah. if you enjoy listening to us and you'd like an exclusive bonus episode about how we met and started the podcast, join our email list and we'll send you the link. Sign up on our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend. For the record, you are not safe. (laughs) (laughs) And I still don't know what the fuck you were talking about with Vanessa and that gun, by the way. It's fine. Let it be. I don't want to corrupt you any further. (laughs) Uh, Whoever wrote that fan fiction's done that enough.